This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And we're happy to welcome our next guest joining us via Zoom, Jay Baer, who's a marketing expert, and he's the founder of Convince and Convert Consulting, which is a digital marketing and customer experience advisory firm that helps the world's most iconic brands think United Nations, Oracle, Cisco, Nike, Hilton, and he helps those brands gain and keep more customers. He's the author of six best-selling books, including Utility, and that's spelled Y-O-U-tility, Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help and Not Hype. Hello, Jay. Barbara, how's it going? Fantastic to be with you and all the SiriusXM listeners out there. Yes, it's great to have you. So tell me a little bit, just how did you get to be a marketing expert? What makes you a marketing expert? You know, I, I came by it accidentally in some ways. I was originally a political science major and I started my career as a political campaign consultant. I managed political campaigns for Congress, for governor, for United States Senate, even worked on some presidential campaigns But then I realized that that is not a business that I wanted to be in (laughs) because it's a a tough gig for sure. Uh, And and I realized, though, that if I could get somebody elected, that's not really different than marketing a car or a hotel or soup uh, or anything else. And so I, I, I went from politics to what we would now consider to be sort of traditional marketing analog marketing. And I did that for a short time. And then I sort of accidentally got involved in digital marketing all the way back in 1993 when domains were still free. You could register whatever domain name you wanted and, and pay nothing for it. And a true story, Barbara, uh, my partners and I in my very first internet company, circa 1993, we got a call one day from Anheuser-Busch Brewing. And they said, hey, uh, understand that, that uh, you guys own the domain name Budweiser.com. And we said, yeah, we do. So we want to build our very first website for the beer. And, and we'd like to have that domain name. And we said, well, I'm sure you would. We're not just <laughs> going to give it to you, though. Uh, and so we sold Budweiser.com to Anheuser-Busch in 1993 for 50 cases of beer. That is a oh. true, true story. <laughs> Uh, I was 23 at the time, so I felt, like we, I felt like we got a great deal. I was like, that's a lot of beer, you know, when you're 23. So I've been doing this, I've been doing this a really long time. I've, I've seen the, uh, essentially the entire history of the web from sleeping on the floor to reboot the servers to, uh, to TikTok and everything in between. Wow, I'm really surprised by that story because I've heard a lot of people who strategically did buy, they were smart enough to buy, and obviously you were too if you got Budweiser, to buy those domain names before anybody realized what the internet was and they did make a killing doing that. Well, when they did were you free, buy any was, other ones? When they were free, it wasn't that hard. But, but <laughs> the rest of the story, Barbara, goes like this. So we sold Budweiser.com for beer and then we sold Guinness.com for two trips to Ireland. We, we got slightly <laughs> smarter each time. And then my partner had 
some that he had registered before I joined the firm. So my name wasn't on the paperwork. And one of those was beer.com. You can see a theme in our registrations. Yeah, really. He sold beer.com to Molson Brewing uh, for like $5.2 million. Oh, uh, and, okay. Uh, uh, I didn't so see any of that. And here I am with you. <laughs> no, the 1993 really is before because Amazon didn't start till 97. So you're oh, it was, it was pre-browser. It. it was pre, yeah. pre-Yahoo, way before Google. Uh, yeah, it's funny about Amazon. I have a coffee mug from, from Amazon uh, that they sent me for being one of the first 500 customers ever. Uh, and I'm like, that coffee mug's going to be worth something someday. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. So now in your company, Convince and Convert, what, what kind of work do you do for the companies now? Let's go back. What's it now? Seven and 20, 27 years later. Yeah, a lot doing? longer. Uh, we help major brands and organizations either with content marketing strategy, social media strategy, digital marketing strategy sort of categorically, and then a lot of customer experience, customer service strategy. Uh, we work with a lot of B2B firms. We work with some noteworthy B2C firms. And, and this year in particular, we're doing a lot of work in higher ed since uh, colleges and universities have been so massively disrupted and now have some pretty acute communication challenges that they've asked us to help with. Can you talk about that at all? That's actually very interesting to me. There's no doubt there's tons of university issues, but what would they bring in a, a firm like yours to help? Yeah, I mean, I'll they got so many problems. I don't know where yeah, to start. Yeah, so where do you start, right? right. Um, and, and the challenge is, you know, they have... The, the communicators on campus have jobs, right? So they already have sort of their regular communications to do, whether it's attracting students or talking to alums or donors or, you know, um, candidate recruitment, et cetera. Uh, and, and now you have all this other stuff trying to educate everybody on campus about every conceivable way of, uh, of coming to campus. So I, I'm not going to mention the name of the university because I don't know that I'm... Um, able to do so contractually, but it's a, it's a major university in the West. And they have retained my team and myself to help them with all the messaging around how to ensure that students download a contact tracing app on their Ooh. phones when they come back to campus, wow. uh, which is a very important element of the overall sort of campus health uh, triangle, something I'm sure you're familiar with uh, at Penn. My son uh, uh, matriculates at Drexel, so I know the neighborhood well. Mm. Um, and it, it's it's a real challenge because students have a different perspective on COVID than other people. Um, and we've done lots and lots of research on exactly how those differences play out and some of the messaging that that may work and and, and may not work as we encourage students to download this app to try and keep each other in, in the campus safe. And so it's a, it's a pretty interesting project and, and it's definitely all hands on deck. So if I go back to basic marketing 101, that campaign sounds like a persuasion campaign. You're trying to change beliefs or change people's minds. Other yeah. ones, it sounds like you were doing brand building or brand awareness. And then you also mentioned customer experience campaigns. Yes. So what does that mean? Customer experience. What does it mean when they bring someone like you in to help with customer experience? We think that there's really two types of customer experience, Barbara. There, there are choices that you make in the operations of your enterprise that reduce churn, that prevent customer defections. And those are typically customer experience initiatives around competency. So let's make sure that we remove friction, we remove obstacles, we remove uncertainty, dissonance, and doubt from the mind of the customer. 
we don't want to give anybody a bad experience that gives them a reason to leave us for an alternative provider. So that's right. kind of- I, I talk about that as take away the pain. Yeah, that's sort of the classic customer experience story, right? And so we do some of that. I think where we are best, however, is in the other side of customer experience, which is when you deliver some sort of experience that customers don't expect or anticipate that then gives them a story to tell. What, what is the benefit of that? Well, I think the best way to grow any business is for your customers to do it for you. That requires word of mouth and, and something that is massively important. In fact, your colleague, um, Jonah Berger, uh, contributed to my most recent book, Talk Triggers, which is on this topic. This idea that word of mouth is is critical to the growth of of businesses, yet almost no business has an actual word of mouth strategy. They just figure, well, if we run a good business, people will talk about it. But that's not how people behave, right? We, we have lulled ourselves in business into this notion that competency creates conversation, and it manifestly does not. So our philosophy and the work that we do is helping brands come up with what we call a talk trigger, which is an operational choice that is designed to create conversations. It's not necessarily the core of what you do, but it's something that you do repeatedly that customers notice and then talk about, which then gets you awareness and new customers at no net cost. So you design the triggers that that spur on the conversation. Is that what you're saying? Precisely. So- yeah, we have a whole methodology and a, and a system of of creating those talk triggers, and and uh, we help brands kind of find their unique operational differentiator that can unlock the word of mouth power that's sort of hiding in their customer base. Oh, that so you have a whole copyrighted secret kind of process. Oh, it's not. It's it's neither copyrighted <laughs> nor secret. Since we just published it in a whole book, uh, <laughs> it's exactly exactly how we do it in the firm. So, you know, I, I very much believe uh, because my book Utility is about this. Like, you should give away what you know one bite at a time, and and uh, that's what we do. So, uh, you know, it's funny that you talk about customer experience in that way, like, because I, I just wrote a, a book, which I'm now revising, I called it the shopping revolution. And I talk about customer experience as independent from the product and the price, which I think you'd agree with. Absolutely. And I do talk about a frictionless customer experience, which is what I think Amazon does, which takes away the pain. And that's very data oriented. I think the best way to do it is to collect a lot of customer data, find out all the pain points, and then systematically remove all that pain. And then I do talk about um, the positive side of it, not the same way you do, but I think it's interesting. And then I think about that as giving a reason to go to the store. So the product and the price could be exactly the same, but if the customer experience is different, you'll get incredible loyalty. And the example that I use is Sephora. Sephora sold the exact same cosmetics at pretty much the same price Macy's did, but everyone went to Sephora because you could try the makeup on. It was much more of a playground. And they had people on the floor who actually knew what they were doing. And they weren't on commission and they weren't selling and things like that. So it was completely about the experience that they were marketing. Then in that case, like I think about promoting that word of mouth was because I don't think of it as necessarily a trigger, but maybe you think about it differently than, I mean, how would you care? So I'm just saying this is the way I talked about it, but it sounds different from the way you're talking about it. It's, I think it's similar, but slightly different. Um, we think of it as ideally something in the operations of your business that the customers don't necessarily expect. And it's that deviation from expectation, which is what becomes disproportionately noticeable and therefore inherently talkable. So I'll give you an example. Um, I have had, I think, I don't know, 
I guess maybe seven accounting firms in my career uh, who do my business taxes. And, and as far as I know, they're all pretty good. Um, don't really have any complaints, but I've never told anybody a story. I've never made really a, a strong accounting referral. I've never said like, hey, Barbara, check this out. Uh, got my tax returns. Turns out all the numbers added up. <laughs> right? Because that's what accountants do. Like that's what I expect to happen. However, there is an accounting firm in Indianapolis, not too far from me, called Bognadoff and Dodges. Uh, not noteworthy in any way, really. Small accounting firm, personal returns, small business returns, a little bit of tax advice, two principals, a couple of associates, front desk person. There are somewhere around 10,000 accounting firms in America that do the exact same thing for almost the exact same money. There, there is zero product or price differentiation. However, they have a talk trigger. It works like this, Barbara. They, res they respond to every client, phone or email, within five minutes at all times. Five-minute response time. They've engineered the operations of their firm to be able to do that. Now, they're not my accountants. Perhaps they should be. But if my accountant responded to me within five minutes, which he does not, <laughs> would I tell you that story as opposed to the numbers added up? Yes, it's a much more interesting story to tell. It's much more likely to be a word-of-mouth propellant on behalf of the clients. And, and it's not an accident that they've done it that way. It creates marketing momentum. Yeah, so that's your idea of a trigger. Let me shift gears on this customer experience. I want to talk about the post-pandemic reputation building yeah. also that I know you do, but I want to talk one more, just one more thing about this customer experience. So in this book that I'm revising, just because it's top of mind for yeah. me, I've been talking, I've been writing, I just finished a chapter on uh, retail in China. And one of the things that's happening in China a lot, as I'm sure you know, uh, the new retail, which is the convergent omni-channel uh, experience offline and online um, and with singles day and Alibaba there a lot of what they're doing is shoppertainment and uh, yes and live streaming and it's very much it's not really a surprise it's literally about entertainment mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian sold 15,000 you know whatever she was perfume I think because she was entertaining and she was with Vaya who's a big uh, cute KOL there in China. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's different. It's not that it's not unexpected. It's that I'm tuning in to hear the entertainment. And while I'm there, I may purchase something yes. that people are talking about. That's a different idea then, right? Yes, I think so. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's equally powerful. I would argue that when you do it that way, you're essentially differentiating on product, right? That the actual thing that you sell isn't necessarily different, but you're not really selling that, right? You're selling the product plus everything around it, right? So it's all—it's almost like your packaging is, if you think about the, sort of the classic P's, the, the packaging part of it is, is the differentiator more so than kind of the unexpected element, which is what we typically think about for uh, talk triggers. But I, yeah. I think you're exactly... With and that's Kim what's gonna, Kardashian, it is. Yeah. But like a lot of the yeah. idea of moving into entertainment, let me entertain you, you know, let me engage you. You're coming to me for the entertainment. And while I'm there, there might... I mean, it's a slightly different kind of thing. Um, in, in, in I think it's going to be the future of retail. Is it's the only thing that will allow small retailers to survive, in my estimation, uh, is is some sort of disproportionate experience. You're not going to be able to win on price. You're not going to be able to win on selection. Uh, you're you're either going to be able to win on these are products that nobody else has, right? It has to be a truly unique, almost handmade uh, product selection, 
or you're going to have to deliver some mix of shopping and entertainment, right? You see this now with, um, you know, sort of the convergence of, of bookstores with live music venues and that kind of an idea. Uh, that, that hybrid approach to retailing, I think, will be all that's left um, to small retailers within two years. Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm Barbara Kahn, and this is Marketing Matters, and we're joined this hour by Jay Baer, who's a marketing and customer experience expert, and he advises the world's most iconic brands, and he just talked about some of his strategies for marketing customer experience and bringing in customers based on what's different about the experience that's wrapped around your brand. But he is also a brand expert, and he's been working with a lot of companies to rebuild their reputation post-pandemic, and and, you know, when we look at the way COVID is struck, there are definitely winners and losers. Uh, I wonder if you work with both. Like one of the things I was thinking about is with everybody uh, isolating at home and everybody doing their own cooking, we've seen a resurgence in CPG brands that were before the crisis having market share declines, but now everybody's drinking Campbell's soup and eating Oreo cookies. And you get a lot of new users who are brought back into these old brands. And I think the question is, um, what will happen over time? You know, how can these brands who brought, who were the winners, let's talk about the winners first from COVID. You were in the right place at the right time during COVID and opportunistically people came into your brand. But now you got to keep these people in these old legacy brands. And these are the same millennials and Gen Zs who had walked away from these brands. Do you have any, um, any advice for how these old brands can keep these young consumers they happen to latch on to? Well, I think you have to do some brand building, right? It, it can't just be, you've heard of Oreos, you rediscover that you liked Oreos, and then eventually you're going to fall out of love with Oreos again. There, there has to be some brand attributes that actually make people want to stick with you, whether that's how you carry yourself, whether that's the values of the organization, which of course is an increasing increasingly important part of the brand story, um, whether it's your communications cadence or modality, it has to feel like this brand is for you because right now we have a lot of brand marriages of circumstance and a lot of brand marriages of convenience. Those marriages don't tend to last um, either if they're brand marriages or actual marriages. So these companies and these products need to do something and it's going to differ based on who they are and kind of their outlook on the world that makes people say, yeah, I, I actually want to be a part of it. You probably saw the, the recent McKinsey report that said some 33% of American consumers have tried a brand for the very first time since pandemic and 70% of them say that they want to stay with that brand into the future. And we'll see if that stays true or not. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of these brands that people had thought were dead, well, not yeah. dead because they're huge, but they were definitely going down. And now yes. all of a sudden that's in the... But it is questionable whether or not they'll be able to. And I wonder if it should be through customer experience or social media or they should try. Because right now, the reason they're buying it is because they're in the grocery store and they see it, you know. Right. But, right. Or but they can they, get it or they can, yeah. you know, it's, it's the supply chain is easier to get than, than some, you know, handmade whatever that maybe is disrupted. Supply chain's not as strong, et cetera. It's interesting. I was at Lowe's recently and they were out of wood. And I was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, how is that possible? Yeah. But everybody's doing home improvement projects, right? I got nowhere to go. I've always wanted to work on this bookshelf or whatever, or this new patio edition, and everybody's doing it, right? In my town, I live in a college town. You can't get a painter. You can't get a landscape professional. Like, they're busy for, like, months and months and months. It is, uh, it's amazing. And then, you know, conversely, we've got clients like Hilton and Caesars Palace, you know, that are, that are you know, it's a 
whole different world on that side of the ledger. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess those are the ones that reach out to you more. We're talking about the winners and how they keep their winning advantage. Although I think that's strategic. They better start looking at it, but probably the ones we're chasing after you are more the ones that were hurt during COVID and now they have to build back their reputation. So what are the things you do for those kinds of brands? Well, I think fundamentally, Barbara, it's kind of goes to your point about, about even legacy brands. And I'm sort of of the mind that it doesn't matter if you've been in business for 20 years or 75 years or 114 years. Right now, every business is a startup because customers don't really know what you're about, how to buy from you, what's true. As an example, I had um, Lori Meacham who runs uh, digital customer care for JetBlue on my podcast recently. And she said that according to their digital team at JetBlue, there's a huge spike in searches on Google for the search term. Are you ready for this? Are airlines still in business? Oh, jeez. <laughs> right? I mean, that, I mean, that's just unthinkable, right? To, 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 that, that, would, that anybody would search that, much less a bunch of people. And, and so you have to rewire all your customer relationships. And it starts with just the basics. Like, are you open? What do you sell? How much does it cost? Do you have to wear a mask? Like, I mean, you got to go all the way back to the basics. And and what I've been telling people is like, look, right now, the FAQ is your competitive advantage. If you can have the easy to understand, formatted in different uh, types of content, video, audio, text, pictures, puppet show, whatever... You got to re-educate your customers and leave no stone unturned. That is really your 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 best play um, right now. Then the second piece is to rebuild your reputation, which is more and more because we have this huge amount of angst and and confusion. As a marketer, your job right now needs to be to close the uncertainty gap for your customers. Because the more they're not positive, the more their money stays in their pocket. And, and so it's understanding where they have concerns or confusion and taking that away is, is really important. And some of that's reviews. So I'll give you an example. If you were going to go buy something now or go to a restaurant or whatever, and you, I'm sure this is true for you, given your uh, profession and mine as well, I do a lot of looking at reviews. If I look at a review right now from February, how much credence do you give that review? Like 0%. (laughs) Like it, it doesn't matter. It like doesn't even exist. It's like a review from Neptune. It doesn't even matter, right? So it doesn't matter if you've got 14,000 reviews for your product. You have as many reviews as you had since you reopened. That's how many you actually have, right? So you've got to completely reconstitute the entire reputation of of the brand or the product or the business. And that includes customer reviews and responding and social and all the kind of blocking and tackling that I've written about uh, in the past, you know, which which seem to be sort of water under the bridge for a lot of brands. And it's not anymore. You got to start over. It's It's really amazing to me. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight to think about COVID as like a start, a stop button and then go and redo everything as if it's brand new because people are not taking any expectations from before COVID to post COVID if you were one of the brands that were singularly affected. 
Yeah. One of the questions that I get a lot, I'm curious to know what your answer is, is I talk to a lot of reporters and many times they're, they, they consider themselves the saviors of the small brands and the small restaurants and the family businesses mm-hmm. going out. And they're really looking for whatever advice they can get to help these brands stay in place. Do you have any um, advice for them, the small family restaurant? or the Absolutely. I, several of my friends own restaurants. Um, here in my town, and I tell them the same thing. It's, and I mentioned it a moment ago, the, the, the most important thing you can do right now is to listen harder, right? To, to really talk to your customers. I'm not just saying, yeah, 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 pay attention to your customers. I mean, I mean, proactively call five customers a day and say, hey, what's on your mind? Really dive into customer thinking and then also listen harder. There's a lot of chatter about businesses now in places that aren't Facebook and your own inbox. Um, I, I have an example that I used in a webinar recently from somebody saying all kinds of crazy stuff um, about Arby's, like on their Instagram account, Arby's corporate. Wasn't answered, wasn't picked up by the Arby social media team. And you're like, you know, you don't think of Instagram as a customer service channel but everything is a potential customer service channel right now. So you've got to talk to customers, number one, listen harder, number two. And then number three is use one and two as the, as the raw materials to build that really comprehensive frequently asked questions and then proactively answer those questions on your website, on your Google local pages, via email to your customers and in social. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's actually really good. It's kind of basic advice, but it's pretty, you know, really makes sense. But nobody's doing it. That's the thing. Yeah, think about it as a start over. Thank you, Jay, so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Two places, uh, convinceandconvert.com is our main site. We have more than 3,000 articles uh, for marketers and business owners, convinceandconvert.com. My personal site is jbear.com, J-A-Y-B-A-E-R. Well, thank you so much. And I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Dion Simpkins, and our producer, Dana Cash. And we're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and we replay our show several times throughout the week. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 